do a clap to sync them up. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> welcome to another episode of So You Want to Be an Artist. You're Wait, I don't think I'm... You are, you're recording. True. You're the bottom. Oh. I'm the top, that's what I mean. It's like the, the pickup is minimal. Yo, welcome to another episode of So You Want to Be an Artist, the only podcast that's for the artists, by the artist, each and every goddamn week. My guest this week, my brother, Nigo True. Shout out, man. Shout out to Kid. Shout out to Kid. Yeah, what's going on? We need to make a jingle still. We do need to make a jingle. Kick a need, <laughs> <laughs> need to get me a microphone that fucking works, first of all. Yeah, yeah that's a bit... If, yeah, let's not talk about the setup. Yeah. Let's not talk about the setup, the gaffer tape. Let's talk about the setup, actually. This podcast is an exempt to flaws. I'm using an iPhone gaffer taped to a broken microphone... And a we're, microphone stand. We're in the hustle right now. Literally yeah. hustling. Recording the audio with uh, with an iPhone and two microphones. Using live mics because we don't have anything else. And nothing else is working. It's stress today, but we're getting it done. And we're still going to give you an amazing podcast. Yeah, right? I don't think, I don't know. Can you give amazing podcasts? Yeah. Because it's amazing conversations. It's amazing. Yeah, so that makes the podcast amazing. Hey! <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it still. The first question that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast and sets the precedent for the rest of the conversation. What is art? Oof. Yep. I wrote a poem about this actually. Um, art is expression, but I think sometimes people misunderstand expression for uh, personal feels. So by expression, I don't necessarily just mean like, what have you been going through? What have you been experiencing? It could just be this is how I f this is how I feel. This is what I want you to feel. This is what I want you to understand. It's just the ability to communicate without just conversation, if that makes sense. Like I'd even count this podcast as as a piece of art. It's it's just non contemporary conversation, in, in my opinion. And I think sometimes people misunderstand that because you'll hear like a trap song, and people will be like, "That's not art." It's it's it's, it's art in almost its most beautiful form. It's it's the ability to not care that um, people are going to see you as, oh, he's not the deepest lyricist, whatever. It's, it's the ability to say, you know, I want people to dance. I want people to just dab. Um, the same way that a pop song might be, I just want people to two-step. The same way that a poem might be like, I want to evoke this sort of emotion. Justin Bieber might come out and say, I want to make ladies cry with this song. And it's just the ability to be able to express. And it, it's, I've probably gone over with the question, but the most beautiful thing about it is, it's almost like a voice for the voiceless. Because a lot of times, especially growing up, you'll see it as the people that would always talk in class are the ones that could articulate themselves best in conversation. But what you find is art is, as long as you maximize your ability to communicate in whatever art form you have, then you have the ability to talk to someone. So you might not be the best at conversation, but you might be able to draw this one painting that is a, a little girl with a crown and you're telling girls around the world, yo, you're a queen, believe in yourself, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think it's, it's expression. When did art and expression first become important to you? Ooh, you know why? That's a good question. Why? Because my first answer was going to be when I first started writing and da-da-da-da-da. But if I'm honest with you, it first became important when I first started receiving it. So listening to music... Okay. Too much is popping. But like listening to music as a kid, 
and it bringing the ability to I don't think anyone realised but when we were in like year seven so when we went to secondary school all my friendship groups changed yeah yeah so it's like I grew up with uh, a boy called VJ a boy called Ellis like we just had this mixed group that we didn't realise were going to be our we were going to split up later on and what tended to happen is what you realise when you went to school is well school like in, in inner city London like East London was music was part of the separation so it was like I started to become friends with people that listened to rap and wore their clothes in a certain way. I didn't realise, I wasn't at the time saying, I'm only going to pick him because he listens to this sort of music. It was just automatic. People had words like grunger, quote unquote. And it was like the people that listened to rock. And emo and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And things like Skaters that. Skaters and emos. Yeah, and you didn't realise that we were being separated. Yeah. It wasn't negative because you sort of understood it. It was like, well, to be fair, it sort of painted a picture. So in your household, this sort of music was being played predominantly, which then streamed down to you, which then streamed down to you creating this friendship group. So it was like, I think that's when I'd say it first became important. But when it first started becoming important externally, it was, um, right, this is probably early in the podcast, but I, I lost my friend when I was uh, 17 and... I'm not much of a talker. It feels it probably sounds like I'm lying now. <laughs> especially then I didn't talk and I remember his mum asking me to um to talk at the memorial, the one year memorial, and I was like, there's nothing I don't want to say anything personally. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just something I've experienced. I don't want to talk about it. Um the only times I'd speak is if his mum wanted to talk to me one on one, because obviously she's lost something way bigger in the in the child. So when people would be like, oh, let's have a conversation, or, or the news would call up and be like, oh, we want to talk to you about your friend. I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want no fame from this. I don't want no clout from this or nothing. And then um, I was sitting in a park the night before his memorial and I just started writing. I, started, I just started writing and um, it ended up being a poem. And I didn't know at the time what it was. I was. It just happened to be rhyming and I was just talking about me and him growing up and um just memories and stuff and it was just like raw like the next day it was the memorial and even though i said no i said i whispered in mum's ear i was like we like we call our friends mum's mum but i whispered in mum's ear and i said uh can i say something she said yeah please please i went up i remember holding my phone it was shaking i don't even know if my hand was shaking or the phone was shaking <laughs> like i was just like almost scared and i just recited this piece that i written about him and like everyone I, you saw this relief and this joy, like in a lot of my friends' eyes. And afterwards, everyone was like, right, like, you know, we, we weren't talking about this and we weren't talking about this. And then I, I realized at that moment, it was like, as much as it was a release for me, it was a release for them. And it was, yeah, I'd say that was the first time it got became important externally and the first one was internally, yeah. I don't even know where to go after that one. <laughs> Is that feeling of relief something that you've tried to capture every single time you've created after that? A lot of times, without realizing, sorry, <laughs> a lot of times without realizing, because um, one thing I learned was this was an accident. This is an accident True. as well. Um, I started making music, so I started rapping and making poetry, and and I had this song. I thought it was a hit. I thought this song was the most amazing song I've ever made. It was on a trap beat, um, and I was gonna do a video for it, but I was like, "Yo, there's." Um, it's going to take a while to get the video done um, because it was being organized by a certain YouTube channel that weren't serious. Uh, we're not going to say names, but yeah, them. And um, 
So I was like, this is going to take time because they're, they're sending over their, their video guy and all this nonsense and they're mm. talking all this stuff, whatever, but it doesn't seem like nothing's getting done. So at the time I had a poem that I'd written um, and it was literally just like, I had no intention of being popular or anything. It was just genuinely like, this is what we're experiencing. This is what I'm going to talk about. It, it became my release to write. It became, I don't talk to people, but I can put this on paper. I will even try to talk to people and I won't be able to articulate it. But if you give me a pen and paper, I'm even lying. If you give me a Blackberry with a memo pad, I'll give you, I'll give you fire. Do you know what I'm saying? I'll yeah. break it down from beginning to end. Then you ask me, like, what did this mean? I, I don't know. Like suddenly I'm, I'm a mute again. And um, so that happened. And then I wrote a poem about fathers and it was really just like, I was thinking about me and four of my friends. And it was like, we, I put together all of our situations. What, the intention wasn't views. It wasn't numbers. It was literally just, this is what we're experiencing. Um, if you want to listen, you can listen. If you don't want to listen, you don't have to. I don't, I really not bothered as long as I can just get it out. So, cause I was like, okay, they're taking long. Um, I put together um, the poem that was called Daddy, You Proud of Me. And we ended up putting it on YouTube thinking, ah, oh, this is just the, while we're waiting for the video to get done, yeah, yeah. we thought this is just to kill time. Yeah. Ended up being my biggest video to date. How many views? Uh, like pff, over half a million on YouTube. Oh, wow. Um, I think it hit a million. It went on Worldstar. It hit like a million on Worldstar. Um, it put me in rooms that I would have never gotten. And the most important thing I learned from it, not even just the, like the numbers are least important. The most important thing I learned from it was a lot. The, the reoccurring thing was people would come to me and say, this is what I've been trying to say, but I was not able to get it out. Thank you. And that to me was way bigger than the numbers. So I started writing thinking, raw, I got more of these that I just, I thought this is just how I feel. The, the next one was, um, I don't can I keep talking? Of course you can, oh, bro. Okay. What the fuck? <laughs> the next one was the breakup poem. And that one was literally um I went for a breakup with my ex and the same thing again. She wanted to talk, all this talking. Everyone wants to talk. You know? I don't like it. So <laughs> the I was like, who doesn't want to talk? <laughs> yeah. So I literally said to her, There's nothing I really want to say. Yeah. Like, um, like I wish you were the best in that, but I don't want to have a conversation. Like, let's just like lock it, no conversation. Mm. And she kept sending me messages after messages. I blocked her number. She started emailing me. Um, and I think she just wanted quote unquote closure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one night I was just sitting in my bed, whatever. And I had this feeling like sometimes I want to work things out. Sometimes I don't. Like, but I, so I didn't know how to explain it. I was going to call her and tell her. But then I was like, oh, no, she's going to think that I want to get back with her. And that's long. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to sometimes you know so I made a poem called sometimes and it was literally just me explaining the breakup and just me talking about look sometimes I do want us to work this out but sometimes I'm just like allow it do you know what I'm saying because it's long and then with that um, I sent it to her as a voice note iPhone so just like how we're recording this podcast. <laughs> so I, I bootleg took, yeah so I think I had an iPhone 4 not even S just 4 at the time, and I recorded it on a voice note. I sent it to her as an email. Then I blocked her email address. Um, so, I, so I didn't, because I didn't want to see the response. I didn't want to get into some conversation. She said, look, have this. This is what I think. And then my little sister heard it by accident. I say accident. She was being nosy, going through my phone. And then she was listening to it halfway through. She was like, this is amazing. And I was like, what's amazing? 
And she showed me my, I was like, it's not amazing. It's how I feel. Do you know what I'm saying? She was like, and I put this on YouTube. So are you sick? How like, old was she? Uh, at the time, six, 15, 16. Wow. She knew. She could see it. Yeah. She didn't understand it. She didn't understand at all. Like she didn't understand the concept of the poem. Yeah, yeah. She was just like, she just likes how it sounds. So I was like, all right, cool, whatever. So I called up a couple of my friends and said, uh, let's put a video together for this. And um, we started putting a video together and I called up the guy that plays piano for me and I said, ah, oh, could you put some piano? Well, I'll go to the studio, record it, and could you put some piano on it? But by this time, it sounds weird, but poems help me release from things. So once I made the poem, I was over her. Yeah. So I was going through all of that and then I wrote a poem and I was like, oh, and I, I realized when you're over someone, you're not angry at them anymore. You're literally just like, you can do whatever. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you came back with, if you came back flipping married, I'd probably just spud you. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't really care. But when I, the time when I wasn't over her, I kept saying, oh, man's over her, man. Man don't care, but she's a waste, man. Like, now I don't care. Do you know what I'm saying? So um, I put the poem together and I went studio. So I had it written out. I went studio. And I kept recording. But my engineer kept saying, you've got no emotion when you're saying this. And I'm like, because it does, I don't connect with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At all. Like, it's, I don't feel it anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? So, and it's like a week after. So, I, I called my pianist. I said, how good are you at mixing stuff? And he said, I'm all right. I said, all right, cool. Make the piano. I've got an idea. You're going to use the voice memo? I used the exact voice note from the iPhone. And then I even did something else. I don't, this is weird to just say in the podcast. But um, when I was young, I used to go to church and stuff. Well, when I say young, like, when I was 17, I went to church and stuff. Like, I try going now, but it's a bit... Life. Yeah, life. <laughs> so, um, one thing that I remember was I had this pastor called Des, uh, Des Brown, really great guy. Um, he was like the genuine one. And we had similar backgrounds, if that makes sense. So, he used to look after me. Like, he always looked out for me and he was trying to help me get away from a certain situations. And um, one time he took me to this church... Um, just to like go alongside him and whatever and he was like preaching at the front and he said if anyone wants to come accept Jesus come to the front blah 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 and while he was talking he noticed a piano started playing and he turned around and he said stop playing we're not here to emotionally blackmail anyone if you want to come to the front I want you to come to the front in your own will not because it feels good because you hear piano and I was like raw and then I had a conversation with him and he was telling me like um yeah, what, what churches tend to do a lot of times is the pastor will be speaking and then they'll try to pull on your heartstrings by like gently just bringing in instruments. You won't even realize that they're playing. So suddenly you're like, oh, I feel bad. Mm. So then I said, hmm. <laughs> so I had the poem. And, <laughs> and up until today, if you go into the breakup poem on YouTube, that's like my second most watched video. I think it's like 300K or something like that. And... um if you listen to it, it's acapella in the beginning for like 20, 30 seconds. And then I click. And the moment I click, a piano just comes in. And I promise you, I had like people that, um, people that, like people from ends were coming up to me like, oh man, that poem touched me. Man, <laughs> man ain't even got X's. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But the, the one thing I realized, the important thing with art like was, it was allowing me to actually have conversations with people and talk for people. And I didn't, because I spent my whole time, I think a lot of people feel like this. When you're going through something, you think I'm the only one going through it. Yeah. No one else will understand. No one else will get it. This is my situation. In fact, a lot of times when I come up to artists and they're like, you know, I will talk on my situation, but they'll make it generic. So they'll be like, you know what? But 
let me just change this because they won't connect with this part yeah, yeah, or yeah. this part's a bit too far. I was saying things on a breakup home and I was thinking people are going to be like, he's a weirdo. I was saying stuff like, I'm calling your phone on withheld just to hear you talking and and all nonsense and I'm deleting your number but I know it off by heart anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm saying things that people are going to be like, he's, he's, he's lost it. Yeah, yeah. But those parts, the parts that were the most- The most human parts. Exactly, were the parts people were like, that's me. That's what I experienced. Yeah. Like even with the father poem, things that I thought people were going to be like, yeah, you lot just got crap fathers were the ones where people would be like, I didn't think anyone else experienced that. Yeah. I thought it was just me. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like the the less you sugarcoat, and I'll be honest with you, um, there comes a stage where you start, I think most artists, you start sort of sugarcoating things because you feel like, oh, I need to appease my audience. You start, you go from the bedroom artist to I've got an audience, I need to not be too controversial, I need to not put them off me. And and I think the most beautiful thing is when you get out of that. So that's like the middle process. It's like things are working. Mm. And you start saying to yourself, oh, I want them to keep working. So you're consistent with this whole, um, you're consistent with this whole, let me appeal to them. So let me take this line out. Oh, this sounds relatable. Let me... Da, 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 da. And then you get to a stage. I was lucky because I was lucky because my camera broke. So for four months I couldn't film. So I went through the whole process, but no one knew. So I was making the most generic poems. Like yeah, yeah, generic. Yeah. I was talking about situations that I I don't connect to. I'm not in. I was just saying, oh, but I know when people usually go through that, they get upset like this. So let me write this. And it was a blessing. Like my camera was broken. I came to my senses in the fourth month. Like literally I was about to get a camera and I was like, I don't even like this. <laughs> I hate this. And I started thinking, I got here from being honest. I didn't get here from saying, ah, oh, let me make everyone feel nice. I didn't get here from being politically correct and saying, oh, I might offend someone. I said things that, when I look back at it, when I'm watching the first videos, I'm like, oh my gosh, how the hell? Rago. Yeah, like, oh my gosh. Like, I wouldn't say that now. Yeah. There was a line, in Daddy, are you proud of me? To, as I said, my, my biggest piece, one of my favorite lines in it was, um, I was talking about like, there was one father situation. Oh, wh one thing I do is I, I don't tell anyone which one was my father, just for personal reasons. Now. But there was one father situation where it was talking about this kid that basically he's he's out doing certain hood things or whatever. But what the dad doesn't understand is, part of the reason he does that is because he doesn't want to bother the dad. He doesn't want to go to him and say, oh, look, can I have money for this? I don't, I, uh, like... I need money for this school trip, whatever. So he's going around paying his own, paying for his own school trips, paying yeah. for paying for things and whatever. And one of the lines in it, my, one of my favorite lines was, "This isn't drug money. This is dad couldn't do it. I still had to feed my mum money." And that's me basically, what's the word? Agreeing, um, co-signing drug money, if, justifying it, justifying. That's the perfect word. Sorry, justifying drug money. So I, if you ask me now, I would be, I would have second foot. Oh, I can't say that. Oh, my audience, you know, they might. Oh my gosh, they, they might be like, oh, why is it he's talking about drugs? You know what I'm saying? But then it was like, that's the most beautiful. When you can get into that bedroom stage as an artist, and I feel like I'm back home again, like I'm back in that stage. Like when you're in that stage where it's like all your pieces, you don't care what the reaction is. You're not sitting there like, oh, I can't wait to get 3 million views, uh, 5,000 likes. You know what I'm saying? All those things are beautiful, don't get me wrong, but you're doing it with your story, you're doing it as you. You know what I'm saying that's why I like I get happy at like people like Stormzy. I get happy when I see him because I look at him and I'm like, my man said shut up <laughs> for three minutes, yeah, 
said everything he was feeling about whatever situations, well, obviously we won't get into that, but whatever situations he was experiencing at the time with other artists, with people um, indirecting him and whatever, whatever. And he said, you know, I'm not going to go make some Save the World song. I'm going to tell you lot to shut up. And it was the best decision he ever made. <laughs> Literally the Just, best decision he's ever made. Do you know what I'm saying? So I f that's, what, that's what I say about the beauty in art. Because some people will look at that shut up song and be like, oh, it wasn't lyrical. It didn't have the depth of this. But he was going through a situation where he, all he wanted to say was, shut up. Where he wanted to say, don't question what I've done. Have you seen this big mobile in my hand? Yeah, don't, don't worry about me. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, and that, that's art in itself because whoever that was directed at, that, they felt that. Even if they, even that's if a they, critical hit. 100%. That's why you never heard nothing after that. <laughs> it was like, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Even if man didn't, man, man might have, the first day, man might have listened to it and been like, oh, he's just telling me to shut up. I'm going to respond. Then he might have turned around and be like, wait, the whole country is telling me to shut up with him. 30 million people now. <laughs> now want me I should <laughs> shut up. Maybe All right, I maybe should, I should yeah, shut yeah. up. Maybe it's time. Yeah, maybe it's time for me to shut up. Yeah, you know I'm saying, and then like... But then also on the flip side, that then goes to when you have a poem like, Daddy, are you proud? Yeah. You say some things that might make people think, fuck, 500,000 people, nearly a million people go through this same thing. Yeah. Maybe I should start healing or maybe I should start probing the situation or maybe I should start looking at how I feel about this certain situation because especially with the father thing for 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 men anyway it's yeah. such a, a situation where you refuse to acknowledge that it even oh, exists to even acknowledge that you have like a, a daddy issue sounds soft it's forbidden like yeah. it's forbidden in a, in a masculine world it's forbidden it's truth it's truth but really when you see a million people connecting to a piece like that you're like oh you grant me permission to, to deal grow. with my situation 100%. to look at it and be like actually you know what this this doesn't emasculate me this this gives me permission to actually grow and come back stronger and and more of a man anyway but you know where a lot of artists a lot a lot, and I say this because I've been in this position as well. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm very self-critical, and yeah. it, I feel like it helps me progress. A lot of artists see it as they want my struggle, and that's all they want. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. But then when you look at a lot of your favorite artists' growth, they're telling you where they are. So, for example, a lot of people would be like, so let's say they've they've solved the dad situation. Mm, they've got no feeling towards it anymore, and their passion is their lifestyle. Their passion is going out on a on a Friday night and enjoying and whatever, whatever. They won't talk about it because their assumption is, oh, they, they want to hear that. They want to hear what I was going through. And like one artist that I'd say is a great example is, um, regardless of what people think of him, of showing where you are is Drake. Because we saw Drake crying and to the point where there was this assumption that every song Drake made was, was a singing R&B ballad. Yeah, yeah. Whereas his album was like eight songs rap. But because the biggest songs was like Marvin's Room, it was like, no, you are an R&B singer. Yeah, End of conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the way to, um, if you're reading this, it's too late, where all he's telling you is, I am the best and we are not going to have a conversation about this. So regardless of what you think about, uh, I didn't like this song, I did like this song. He said, you know, what? you're going to come on this journey with me. I've gone from um, them songs in the first album where I'm talking about, I don't think I'm going to make it and I'm worried about this and... And like the song with Trey songs, the hook. He successful. I want to be successful. He wouldn't have made that now. 
He was saying, all I want to be is successful. He, he was saying in future tense, that's what I want. Now he's there. He's talking about it. Yeah, he's, he's like, F everyone. I'm he's successful. Like, <laughs> like he has a song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he probably does have a tune like he that somewhere. Does have a song somewhere. Yeah, he's probably singing it. You know what I'm saying? So now, but now where is he in his, his, this, this stage of his journey? Because... Like I tweeted the other day, I was like, I feel like I don't care about Drake anymore. Like he yeah. could drop something and it would take me three, four weeks to even listen to it. I listened to the album once. It's like I think I think do you know what happens a lot of times with art? I feel like it's people confuse promotion for for art. So for example, um I connected with if you're reading this it's too late, more than I connect with some of the old albums. Simply because I wasn't going through anything emotional when those albums came out. But when you're when if you're reading it, it's too late came out, I was going through artist issues. So I was sitting there like, oh damn it, I really want to boast. Sounds silly, but I was genuinely sitting there like I really want to gloat right now. I really feel like I'm good with my pen and I wanna say it. So when that came out and he's like, he's all all he's saying is my pen is amazing, I was like, right, this is amazing to me. Everyone around me was like, this is horrible. And I understood why, because it didn't connect with him. But because of the hype around it, it was like, this is meant to connect with me, but it's not. So it makes it even worse for some people. So for example, if you're like, let's say I release something, everyone on your timeline is talking about my new piece. Everyone, everyone's like, this is amazing. This is the best thing ever. And then you hear the poem, and it's basically me saying, um, I don't like podcasts. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think anyone that makes podcasts is a weirdo anyone that's been on podcasts is a weirdo suddenly you're going to be like well I don't like this guy but then a oh, perfect example if I made a poem because I'm enjoying this podcast so if I made a poem talking about I love podcasts and that's what got me to open up and communicate and whatever everyone like let's be honest like bare people would be like what the flip is he talking about <laughs> but Kane would be like nah this is deep do you know what yeah cut. you lot don't understand like you open up in a podcast, you might even be thinking, I might say a line like, the person giving the podcast goes home and reflects and enjoys life. And you're like, right, I remember when I made this podcast and I went home and I cried and, <laughs> and I was drinking whiskey. <laughs> and then everyone else is like, what the flip is, why the flip is Kane crying right now? Kane is doing, you know how Kane will always do his, his, his little threads. You always do your little, um, what's the word? What's the word when you go on like, a, not a tantrum. Uh, um, rant. Yeah, when you go on your rants. Why is, Kane, why is Kane so emotional about this podcast tune? And they don't understand that you connect with it. And I think with me and Drake, it's, it's a very, not. would you call it love-hate? It's like, I connect if I connect. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes he says things that I think, even he thinks are far-fetched. Like, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, yeah. What the hell are you talking about? You got me sat here thinking now. I wonder if a lot of people will think that, oh, Kane's going on one of his rants again. <laughs> no, no, no. Your rants are cool. Do you know what I really... Do you know what the one thing I wanted to... I, I kept forgetting to tweet you to say thank you for, yeah? The one thing that I, I'm, I would encourage you to continue doing, every day, and I, I noticed this, every day you, you retweet your tweet that you made about... Uh, uh, if news. you do one thing... The news... Every day you retweet. And every single time I see it, I'm like, I need to tell Kane, keep doing it. Because I, I feel like sometimes people may see like, oh, um, not everyone understands what I'm saying. So let me stop retweeting this. So they feel discouraged, disencouraged, dis disencouraged? Whatever the word yeah. is. <laughs> that word. So they'll stop doing it. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? But every time I see that tweet, I'm like, yo. I, I, I don't know why. I won't interact with it. Like I'll get on my day. But to me, it's like, 
okay, he's giving me the he's giving me my message. Right, that's the thing that's why I love Twitter it's like no matter what you try and say or do it's a, it's a positive and a negative yeah. but no matter what you say or do you're seeing my words yeah. they're processing in your mind and something is going to happen yeah. something even if you like say that's bullshit cool you felt something a reaction. you formed an opinion yeah, yeah you formed yeah, yeah. an opinion you've had a reaction with that tweet it's like I know that even if you fucking wait say the tweet because they're going to be confused oh yeah shit people don't <laughs> even know about the tweet so the tweet is basically um, don't start your day watching the news. I can't, I, wait, I can't actually remember. It's full of like negative. Yeah. Basically, you said, basically you say, don't start your day watching the news because it's full of negative. You don't need that negativity at the start of your day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look at a tree or something. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, eat, yeah, yeah. Eat fruit and look at a tree or some shit. But the reality of some it is, is that, <laughs> but it's true though. Breakfast. If you say breakfast is the most important meal of the day, essentially what you're saying is what you digest at the start of your day will define what happens 100%. throughout the day. A, that's why when I when I first read it, I said, "Fuck!" Like because I was watching the news. I swear on my life, I was watching the news and some negativity was happening. And my first thought when you tweet when you tweeted it was, "Oh, like, how can we ignore the things that happen in the world?" Then I said to myself, "Bro, you're not gonna jump on a plane and go save everyone, are you?" That's true. So. It's cool for you to go through your day. First, set up your day. So set up how you want your day to go along. And then, you know what? In, a, in the middle of the day, in the evening, whatever, check what's going on. If there's something you can do, do what you can. If there's something you want to com- conversate about, conversate about it. But the fact that you're starting with your day with, this world is terrible. Yeah. It just makes you feel like you're fighting a lost cause when you wake up every day and more shit has happened. You've gone to sleep, you've woke up, a bomb's gone off in Germany, someone's been stabbed in Turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all of this shit. It's just like you don't you don't need that for breakfast. What you need for breakfast is fucking like Gloria Estefan playing on vinyl. <laughs> you need to watch some trees blow in the wind and you need to have a conversation with someone that you love in the 100%. morning that makes you feel like, all right, cool. Now I'm ready to take on 100%. the ills of the world. And for the people that think, oh, that means you're ignoring 110% not. Nah. If, if anything, it gives you more because you understand everything's propaganda and this isn't Completely. some conspiracy even this thing. this is propaganda exactly. for the lord <laughs> <laughs> for the lord our universe <laughs> for like everything it's, it's not even conspiracy theory because for example Kane's, Kane right now could be saying to me oh, let's expose how Negos are fraud for I don't know I've, I've never thought I was a fraud but there might be someone out there like oh, Kane should actually be exposing how Nego doesn't do this when he writes his pieces whatever so it looks like a propaganda that this is showing me in a positive light. So everything, regardless of what you think it is, is some, whether it's for good, for bad, whatever, whatever. And if, you, if you're if you looking at these things, like for example, if, if all the news is doing is addressing these problems, then all you're doing is in the morning, rather than just looking at, oh shoot, there's problems. All right, let me get on my day. If you actually say, you know, I'm gonna have a good day today. If I do come across an issue where I can make a difference, I'm going to make a difference. If the news are talking and they say this is happening in France or whatever, and I've got a relative in France or there's a certain charity or I just want to go out and help or, or I might just want to spread the word, then I'll do that. Do you know what I'm saying? But I'm going to do these things. So it makes you more proactive anyway. So if you actually want to do something, start your day positive. Then when something does come along, you might want to say, you know what? I want to help those people rather than you start your day negative. Because the moment you're just sitting there thinking this world is horrible, you're not going to do anything about well, it. Well, yeah. And to me, there's t- there's only two emotions that exist for me, really and truly. I know there's a whole range of spectrum, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they all fall under the two, which is love or fear. So h- am I going to start my day with love, which is 
conversation with someone that I love, fresh fruit, blah, 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 mm. all that worldly shit? Or am I going to start my day with fear mm. and be told that I shouldn't trust people who have a certain color skin yeah, or yeah, yeah, that yeah. I shouldn't go on the internet because of the deep dark web. It's this is so actually, crazy. this is why I typed it. Piers Morgan, he was like, oh, someone was be has been shot in Germany. Even Europeans aren't safe. So now I'm thinking, I can't even trust Europeans now. Like subconsciously, that's yeah, not yeah, why yeah. I'm acting. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's truth, thinking. it's truth. Then he's saying, the deep dark web is where you can buy guns. We need to restrict the internet. The internet is so not safe. All right, so now I'm scared of Europeans. <laughs> And I'm scared of the internet, right? <laughs> I live in London, bro. <laughs> I got to get on a train and go to work. I'm speaking as like a general public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to get on a train and go to work and be surrounded by Europeans and sat behind a, a computer, which I've just been told to tr not trust for the for the next 10 hours. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. your whole day. Sit around a bunch of people you've been told not to trust on a fucking device you've been told not to trust. I don't want people to live their life in that much fear or with that much resentment how can you look at the internet and resent it because Pierce Morgan told you to no but like Pierce Morgan's a right right dickhead yeah he? but none of them are any better on the news in yeah, the morning yeah, yeah, yeah. like so that whole thing was for me was to like fucking hell breakfast is more than just Cause, food because you even got even if you just look at how things are laid out so if you think about things like in the terms of like who who gets column time so you're looking at Pierce Morgan you're looking at Katie Hopkins if you ask yourself what qualifies them to be there it's simple. They gauge a reaction. And that is that is way more important these days than actual results. Because if you're looking at it, there's there's a bunch of people that whoever's listening to this could probably think of that if you gave them an article, they'd be like, you know, this is what's happening. But as a result, we should do this or we could do this or you could think along these lines. Rather than that, they've, they've given you people that they know will offend you. So they've given you people that every single time Kate Hopkins drops an article... I could I could bet twenty pound the next Kate Hopkins article is gonna offend you. But this is the thing, it offends us, right? Yeah. Because we're not fucking morons. But there's eighty percent of the country outside of London that agree. Yeah, yeah. Like we we love to think that we're the majority and that yeah, we're the no, superior. No. That's why we lose elections. Yeah, the <laughs> superior like perspective, but we're not. We're actually in the minority. We're in the very few people that don't like Katie Hopkins. Because she's there for a reason. Yeah, because because yeah, yeah. all them them cities like when do you know is you only realize you see how important these cities are when these elections come. When, so when, when, come. when Brexit came about, when when the last general election was here, you're looking at it like, oh yeah, London voted for Labour. Yeah, yeah Labour got win. We we get it. The yeah. rest of the fucking country, you're seeing mad places. Kick them out. Kick the immigrants out. <laughs> Kick them all out. Fuck them. Let's make and, this country great. And again. that's We're why, like what? That's why as, as bad as it sounds, because people don't like to acknowledge things because they're. I'm going to take you through two negative people that do their job. I, I don't want to say any positive words, but understand where I'm going. Katie Hopkins, what she does is art. It is. It's not good, but it's art in a sense of she speaks for people that wouldn't speak. Because when you think about it, if you, if you did like the whole of England as a classroom, London is that big bully that thinks that everyone loves him. Suddenly... Crawley comes out and says, we don't really like you, to be fair. Then you've just got, like, flipping Nottingham turn around and say, yeah, I was waiting for someone to say that. Flipping, even Wales jump in. You're like, where the hell did you man come from? you got Scotland. They're like, nah, we, he's all right. You just don't, <laughs> you just don't know him. <laughs> yeah, and then fucking Bogner comes out and he's like, nah, he's a piece of yeah, shit. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a prick. Then Brussels jump in for no reason. I've been, I've been telling you, like, he's a prick. <laughs> And you're just like, whoa, whoa, I thought we was killing it. Exactly. And Katie Hopkins is cruelly. Katie Hopkins is, 
like we don't like even I'm not saying we agree with her, but it's like she gave people a voice. Not it might not be the right people, but she gave people a voice regardless. And and that's I think that's something that a lot of times on social media people people hate to accept. People hate to accept the fact that different opinions are about and you can someone can have a different opinion. If if it, like one thing I'm big on is if you if you flip on someone for having a different opinion, then that means you don't want to make any progress. So yeah, if you're not open to change, hundred percent. So if someone says something completely stupid, and people say dumb things, I see dumb things on my time all the time. If I start cap blocking him and saying, "Ah, oh, you're an idiot," and "Mum this," your "Mum that," I want him to have that opinion. So if he like, let's say a man's opinion is, I think black people are all thieves. I'm not saying let's be peaceful with everyone. You know what I'm saying like, but let's say someone turns around and says, "All black people are thieves." Yeah. But he genuinely believes this because he was raised in an area where he was flipping middle of Milton Keynes and his his uh, his dad got robbed when he was young by a black man. And he's he saw seen his two granddad black people his whole life and they, and both, they both thieves. They both robbed him. Like, let's say he's completely wrong. He's, he's, he's ignorant. I, I will agree with that. Yeah. But if I turn around to him and say, you're a fucking idiot. Your dad deserved to be robbed. Da, 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 da. I want him to have that opinion. Not because I'm saying I'm going to rob you. But because I'm saying we're not even having this conversation, F you. I must want you to have that opinion because I'm literally saying the door's closed. So if you say, if you say a door is like, all right, cool, let's have a conversation about this, yeah? This is the door open. You come to the door and the door's open. So I've said to you, the door's open. You don't knock on the door, you, you ring the bell. And I flip at you for ringing the bell. And I close the door. But for some reason, I still want you to come in. I'm still saying, I still want you to have a better opinion of us. But the door's closed. Go have a better opinion elsewhere. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think a lot of people, because, you know, there's frustration with a lot of things. So a lot of people don't see that. They're just, because a lot of times people think with emotion. I come from a background of um, um a lot of negative things. A lot of, ne <laughs> a lot of negative things. And I've had my fair share of this has to go physical because you've, you've overstepped the mark. Mm. And I've learned from it. And I've looked at it years on and, and the people that I had an altercation with, I've sat with them and said to them, did you, you, did you learn your lesson when we, whatever, whatever? And they're like, no, I didn't. If anything, it made me more angry. <laughs> and they've said to me vice versa, when, when we did A, B, C, D, did you turn around like, oh, my days, I need to stop? No, it made me more angry. So if anything, c communication is lost. I, I, there's something I don't mind saying. Like there was a group of people that I had problems with from, when I was nine, all the way to when I was 16, 18. I stopped having problems with them when I was 16. They still had problems with me when I was 18. And up until today, we laugh about it because it all started by playing football. Yeah. We were playing football in the park. Um, someone fouled one of my friends. Rumor has it that I must have like slapped the person that did it. I, I don't like, <laughs> I don't know where this rumor started, but that was the rumor. And we went back and forth. And because they lived in a different area, people from the outside always looked at it as, oh, that area's got problems with that area. When really it was like, no, my friends live here. Their friends live here. You lot are just naming us. We didn't name, we didn't give ourselves names. In fact, one of us even lives over there. It's just he comes here to play football more. So he supports us more. We had problems all the way to 16, but it got lost. So we lost the reason. You don't even know what we're fighting for. Exactly. So we turned like 15. Suddenly, one of them has seen one of us and beaten him up so now we're like okay we're fighting because of that then it's because of this because of this because of this because of this 
before you know it, we, we have real life problems. People are almost dying and stuff. And it's like, this, come, this came because someone tripped someone up. And because we didn't have a conversation, because we didn't sit down and say, okay, look, you were in the wrong for this. I was in the wrong for this. Let's just move on. Because we were prideful. And, and part of this, I put this down to, um, this sounds very far-fetched, but I do put this down to how we were raised and not in a negative way. I put this down to, one thing that I realised with parenting is, a lot of times, parents tell you how to behave outside, but they don't give you an example inside. So it's still, they're still trying to be positive. It's not like, oh, you need to fight. It's like, for a parent to a child, one of the most important things is respect. Mm. Um, so with that, what comes is, a parent will be talking to a child. <laughs> a parent will be talking to a child. And let's say the child steps on the parent's foot. The parent will say, apologise. Because they're trying to teach them manners. It's not, they're not trying to be rude or nothing like that. It's just apologise. You stepped on my foot. I just want, to, I want you to, to learn manners. If the child says no, that's when the parent will discipline the child. Some parents hit their child. Some parents put their children in a room or whatever. I've heard about naughty steps, all this stuff, whatever. But that's the most important thing. As long as you respect me, you're cool. Now, what happens is people step outside of their house. Then when they get disrespected, it's a, I need an apology. It's upholding discipline. That's what they think is how you're meant to carry it. You've stepped on my foot. Oh, all, all you need to do is apologize and it's, it's cool. It's people's understanding of respect. Suddenly it's like, you can't send this kid, to, you can't send this grown man to his room. Mm. If, if, if a big, big 30 year old steps on my foot and he doesn't apologize, what, what am I going to do? Naughty step, <laughs> naughty step. So then it's like, okay, I need to discipline you in a way that, because you got to sign a parent to a child, you don't have a say in how you're getting disciplined. It, a lot of, if your parent sends you to the room you can't be like I'm walking out my room <laughs> run away <laughs> yeah like I'm running away <laughs> yeah. you'll never see me again <laughs> 20 minutes later yeah. <laughs> I'm hungry <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so it's like you pick okay the only way I know to discipline sure. you the only way that I know you're actually going to listen and you'll have no choice is, is if we fight because you, you well I can't lock you in a room that's kidnap <laughs> I could do that but, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying so I have to in my head and that's why a lot of people a lot of quote-unquote hood people are big on respect because in their head all they do is show it so they want to receive you might meet people and you'll be like right he's not he's not bad he's a good he's a really good you've you've heard so many rumors about he's done this and that but he's probably the nicest person you've ever met like the nicest you've ever met and suddenly people are like no he did this he did that like how that's like chronic you know chronic the, the grime mc no i haven't you know what is he like the proper nicest guy ever? Well, I heard so many stories, yeah. Like literally stories. <laughs> Not even stories, like like newspaper articles. <laughs> Trust me. Oh, that episode of Crime Watch. <laughs> Trust me. Chronic I mean, it's all in his music. I don't, it's not. I mean, yeah, 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 it's there. Like it's there. I even heard about one time a guy saw Chronic in the studio and he fainted. That's how shook he was. Oh my gosh. But then I met him shooting a video for fucking DWE and Footsie. I met him and I was obviously had this like pre Persona. Yeah, yeah, this like preconception or prejudgment of him. Yeah. And he was safe. Yeah. yeah so yeah. safe. I was with Morgan Keys, we shot the video and I was like, I really like Chronic. He's like a proper nice guy. Yeah. Morgan was like, You being serious? I was like, Yeah, he's cool. Like, but this is what I'm saying, like the, the preconceived notions and a lot of it comes from social media. You know, people automatically say, oh, he's a road man, which means he wears a hoodie in the summer 
and he <laughs> robs everyone. Like even this conversation to a lot of people doesn't make sense. You're yeah. white, I'm black. You you must hate me. I must resent you. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like no, until you get past that and you have a conversation with a person. Yeah. Like I was raised on, and I've never said this on Twitter because I feel like everyone would get on me. But I was raised on casual racism. And what that means is I had these neighbours that were like three doors down, um, brothers, uh, four of them, um, all white. And between um, my house and their house was uh, a, a black family. Uh, so a boy called Connor, Connor Peters, really cool guy. Um, Connor, and then there was a, a black girl on the right named Nicole, and then some Asian neighbours across the road. And every time we came out, it would always be, we were the closest of friends, but it was always casual racism. It's always, it was always banter to us. I know like people might hear that and be like, oh, that's not banter, da, da, da. But it was genuinely just like, we insulted each other about looks, about everything about would it go the other way as well would it yeah. go you to them yeah like yeah. are you thin lips no like <laughs> listen, like literally like they'd make chicken jokes i'd say stuff like uh your um your your dad was on football factory <laughs> like we just say dumb things to each other that there was no offense ever taken and we didn't know like this i'm being so genuine we didn't know people hated people because of our race until we got to secondary school so we spent years insulting each other because of colour, thinking that this was just jokes. So as much as, you know, there's a background behind the whole chicken jokes and the football hooligan and thief jokes and whatever, we just thought people were being silly. We thought everyone was just joking around. They didn't really think I was a thief. They, they'd leave me in their house by myself yeah, and, and go somewhere and, and whatever, whatever. And you'd go to football games with their yeah, dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not worry. <laughs> like... And we got to a certain age and we realised people actually don't like... And you know what sometimes it's the crazy thing is? Sometimes people don't like people because they're told that person doesn't like them. Mm. Well, so, people don't form their own opinions nowadays. They yeah. listen to Katie Hopkins or they listen to Piers exactly. Morgan and they form their opinions. So I'll, I'll probably walk in this room and be like, oh, Kane doesn't want me alive. I, I can't believe it. But that's just unfathomable. It's not unfathomable because I do understand yeah. that there's people... that why you would think that but then at the same time i don't get it because it's why would you think that but i get why you do but it's like it's crazy because it's like i think um experiences conversations and outlets form opinions so for example um i, I wrote a, a recent poem where i was like uh just back to the race thing where i was like we might be the only race that gets scared when we see someone that looks like us and that was the last line in the poem and the reason I said that was because growing up, I remember um, I'd be on the road, right? And like, I'd be walking down the pavement and I'd see a white guy and my chain would be out, my, my watch would be on and I wouldn't care. See an Asian guy, same thing. They, they, they both could be probably bigger than me, have whatever. See a black guy, suddenly I'm tucking my chain in. And my parents didn't tell me to, to, to be scared of black people, but it was just this automatic thought process that I was given from certain things around me that made me think oh oh my gosh I can't like do you get what I'm saying and yeah, yeah. regards to the fact that I was probably more likely to approach him than him to me but somehow I was the one that had this belief and I started realising that certain things were forming my opinion like even other things like you go football training a better one you go football training and you'd see the big guy and if he said he was any position other than centre back, you'd be confused. <laughs> like this guy's like hench, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm striker. Get get centre back. The tall guy, you get in goal. The quick guy, you go in the wing." So I'm saying, but oh, sorry, 
but that's not their actual positions. And nine times out of ten, if I'm honest, I, it was like I, I don't really care. Like, cause me, I'd play like centre mid, so I'd be like, I really couldn't care less where you think you want to play. You're playing there. You're playing there. <laughs> oh, the, the black, the black fast guy. You're a striker because you're gonna get a goal. Cause it was just this automatic, like this automatic. I'm watching. Football. We always used to have that because obviously I'm from Bournemouth, innit? So. <laughs> there aren't a lot of black people. So whenever we would see a black person on a football team, we'd be like, "What? he's going to be quick. Yeah, he's going yeah, yeah. to be a good player. That kid. And that's like positive But it's the same with us because I used to be on a, on a football team and we used to have one black player. His name was Tony Bellet and he was five, six. Yeah. Wham. Yeah. The, one of the biggest guys you've ever seen. I'll show you a picture. But he was quick, strong, tricky like he was the stereotype of like what you would a white person would imagine to be like a black, black athlete yeah, yeah, yeah like just all of that a complete prime athlete it's just funny how but it shows it's you a positive stereotype exactly like so he, those positive stereotypes will, will show you that some people can see that the opposite way yeah do you know what I'm saying like I, I, I like it's certain things are about unlearning so sometimes I've had to realize like I'll be honest like I feel like when you're so much on the receiving end so I'm a young black boy from East London. There's so many cards I could pull. So yeah. many. So when you're on the quote-unquote receiving end, you don't look at the things that you're doing outwardly. So I've almost had to look at things and be like, okay, where do I discriminate with people? And there's certain things, that I, I won't fully say them all, but there's certain things that I've looked at and been like, I probably didn't give that person a chance because I connected them with this. Or I thought this person was this. Or whatever, whatever. And at the time, you don't realize because no one wants to think that they discriminate. No one wants yeah. to believe they do. And it's like, it's only when you can accept the positives. So when you can say, you know what? Um, I liked this white guy because he could Zonto. It's a dumb reason, but I met this guy. That's like, Vujanic, mate. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I, I liked this. Um, you, I got along with this person because they listened to this sort of music. So then you start thinking to yourself, okay. What about people that listen to other sorts of music? That's true. Like, you may not realise it, because, you know, everyone, when you ask everyone what music do you listen to, everyone always says, oh, everything. Like, play them some heavy metal, and or like, why are you playing this? Yeah, yeah, play yeah. them some old school country, oh, I hate this. Da, da, da. So it's like, you start realising that there is a separation with people. Are you willing to accept that? Like, even, quote unquote, ignorant people. Pe people will be like, I'll accept everyone. But it crosses over in more places than you'd imagine. Like that school is the best example for it. How you might not listen to the same music as that kid. Yeah. Who that kid who's not in your friendship circle, but you look at him and you're like, you're you're cool. Yeah. You might play the same game on Xbox. Yeah. Or he might bring the Games Master magazine in every week. Or and people will be confused at your yeah. friendship. People yeah. will be like, how the hell is he friends with him? He supports fucking. Arsenal or some yeah, shit yeah, or he's supposed man, Crystal man. Palace or some shit yeah, like yeah, some yeah, dead yeah. team yeah. <laughs> yeah some dead team Crystal Quick Palace send United, shot. like any of them what did you say can't hear you nah, the what? podcast shut down close <laughs> laptop delete <laughs> yeah, yeah. but this is what I'm saying so I feel like a lot of times um, I'm I'm very big on uh, inwardly looking at I'm very big on it man because I feel like don't get me wrong there's a lot of issues where you know um, we can help other people when people are going at them whatever but me myself, I don't want to be part of the problem yeah. personally. So whether that be, uh, I feel like sometimes you can be part of the problem from attacking someone or you can be part of the problem from even just not understanding something fully. So what I've been learning a lot recently is, I'm not going to lie, I was one of them guys that were like, uh, women are over-exaggerating with this feminism thing. Like I, I used to think like... You're, like of course, all men did. And That's then, the reason why feminism is so important. Exactly. So I started looking at it like, okay, right, I Check. actually... 
Carry on. I actually contribute to this. Yeah. Like, I actually contribute to the problem. And part of it is because I don't understand there's a problem. So the more that I was learning, okay, these are some of the issues faced, I was like, oh my gosh. These are things that if I owned a, a Fortune 100, 500 company, I'd probably have made that decision as well. Because I'm, I'm looking at it, like, I don't understand the problem. Yeah, that's the fa- I think that's the first thing that all men realise is like, wait a minute, we don't get paid the same. Yeah. Men don't even know that. It's like, we're doing the exact same job, but they're getting seven grand less or whatever. Yeah. And they have to work one week out of every month on a period. And they have to fucking like, all of this shit, you're like, oh, wait, hang on. And at the time you look at it, like if you say dumb things that you don't realize that if you were in that position, you wouldn't say. So you say dumb things like, well, it's not my fault. And you're like, brethren, like brethren. Like, well, it is your fault if you want to <laughs> be born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you start saying to yourself, look, in order for, like, as I said, I, I don't have, one of the main reasons I don't talk a lot on Twitter is I felt like if Twitter was a forum where you could say, look, I don't get these things and people will correct you, I'd say way more. But I feel like it is very much a forum of, they're I don't understand, you slip, they're huh? waiting, they're waiting, the vulture, like, people are probably listening to this right now, like, just typing, like, oh my gosh, Nico said this, but feminism began in 19, like, it's like, bro, like, I don't mind being educated. That's I think that's a beautiful thing. Humbly, mate. I'm up for it. Yeah, 100%. Like, there's sometimes where I say something ignorant and I've got friends around me that would be like, no, actually. I do it all the time. I say mad ignorant stuff. Not on <laughs> Twitter. I mean, I'm pretty reckless on Twitter. <laughs> get, I'm getting better though. Everything's starting to get more positive now. I'm in love. But, um, but everything's getting more positive. But yeah, before I used to, I would be like, I'd look at it and I'd be like, ah, oh, why did I say that? Yeah, because it's like certain things, and I, I, the maddest thing about Twitter, and if, if you're listening to this on Twitter, you need to take this in. The maddest thing about Twitter is people do not, do not accept the fact that people's opinions change. They don't. So, yeah. for example, you could tweet something in 2013 saying, um, saying uh, I don't know, uh, you could say, say you're a white person, and you could say, uh, go back to the thieving thing, uh, black people, all they do is still. In three years, you, you f- in three years, you're campaigning for Black Lives Matter. You're on the front line, and someone drags up a tweet from three and years like, ago, and it's like from three years ago, and you're like, yeah, because that's how I, f- that's how I felt. Yeah, that's what I. And now I've realized how wrong it was, and now I'm trying to make a difference. But people don't, uh, drag. people don't allow change. People don't allow growth. It. People look at it as if to say, how dare you grow now? Why didn't you grow then? Okay, yeah. well, it's happened. Because I was 14. Because <laughs> I was 14 and from a town where there was literally one black person. How are you supposed to know about the struggles of the black? He was a footballer that played yeah, for Crystal right. Palace. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and unless you're taught these things, and I feel like a lot of times you're taught these things through making mistakes. Like, I think... Check. I think... Yeah, I think a lot of people see things as if to say, um, check. You should know. You should know. And I think a lot of people don't know that there are people in this world walking around ignorant because they don't want to open their mouth. So there's a lot of people, a lot. Those 80% Katie Hopkins fans are walking around and they're not being corrected because in their head and the heart, they believe the moment they open their mouth, they're just going to get attacked. Yeah. So they're people that, if you want to sound religious, can be converted. They're people that and they're, I know extre- they're extremists 100% but at the same time it's like you're looking at it as like to say a lot of people unless they open their mouth you don't have an opportunity so if you just see everyone as a closed door and then suddenly there's an opportunity so it's like someone said something so let's say Kane tweeted all poets cry out of their left eye 
it's random, just their <laughs> left eye. They, poets don't cry out of two eyes because you knew a poet and he cried out of his left eye, yeah? If I turn around to you and say, no, F you, Kane, F you, F you and your, and your one eye theory, rather than me saying, no, nah, I, I cry out of two both of them. Here's a pr- here's proof. Yeah, there's a picture. There's a here. <laughs> no, that's water. No, I swear to you. This <laughs> yeah. is me. Like, I'll, I'll FaceTime you. It's raining. <laughs> You're allergic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, don't get me wrong. There are people that will die to, like, they'll die in their beliefs, you know what I'm saying? And they will never allow things to be changed. But I honestly, I'm just a big believer in, like, com- conversation, man. Yeah. Big believer in conversation. You funded your own world tour. You put on your own world tour. Oh, like yeah. That's something that we should talk about. That's pretty fucking <laughs> ballsy. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> that did happen. You went yeah. on a world tour from East Ham. It's East Ham? <laughs> no, I'm from Leighton. Oh, from Leighton to the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally. Yeah. How? How? What? People from Leighton don't even see the world. People from <laughs> Leighton don't even go Westfield in <laughs> Shepherd's Bush. Yeah, no. Big man thing. I. <laughs> You know, that's hilarious because I spoke to my little brother. He's not my actual little brother, but yeah, as I said, like we call each other brothers, and that. Spoke to my little brother. It was his birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Paul! Yeah, but um, I said to him, "Alright, let's go um, West London." He goes, "Why?" I said, <laughs> "What's over there?" <laughs> yeah, I'm like, "Bro, have you know been West London, bro?" I found out. Yeah, my little brother. The first time he ever got on a train was when he came out of jail at 19. First time you got on a TFL train. From where? Feltham? I think, no, we went to, um, so we, he got picked up from Feltham. Okay. Taken to Leighton. But um, we had someone, someone had moved out of the area to like Kent. So we was going to see them, but there was no cars. So I said, I'll oh, just get a train. And he looked at me shocked. Like he looked not as if to say, oh, I'm bougie. I only jump in limos and whatever. But he'd never been far out enough that he needed a train. Like a Midlands or Southwest train or whatever. No, I'm talking underground TFL central line. What? Like as in, you understand, the the one thing with inner city London, so you was raised in Bournemouth, yeah? Yeah. The one thing you understand is the reason people are so big on areas is you don't have to leave your area for anything. It's true. If I wanted clothes growing up, food, everything, I just crossed the road. The high road for everyone is round the corner. You were gassed when they built Westfield and Stratford. Brethren, we were like, what is that? Because we had a mall, do you know what I'm saying? But it was small. Yeah, the little Stratford, the one opposite. No, no, we had one in Walthamstow. Oh, okay. So, um, but even that, it was like, every area is going there. It's like, oh my gosh, what time should we go? Very, very peak. Yeah, you're (laughs) overthinking it. So, I realised that like, people, well, I thought, another, before we get back to the World Tour thing, one of my friends, yeah, um, Everyone's in jail. And one of, my, one of my friends, he went he went prison as well. But I was trying to help him. So I was in uni at the time, and he had issues in our, in our area. So I moved him out, and I said that like I bought him somewhere. I moved him into my uni flat. Like he stayed in my in my room with me. Um, he'd sleep on the floor. Sometimes I'd let him sleep on the bed, and everything's there. And I was just saying to him, "Look, I just want you to see certain things." And like, I feel like if you're just in a different environment, you'll think differently. Because I felt like he was going down a certain road, and um, sounds like a bad ending because he's in jail but um, and so when we was going to my uni I went to Kingston so to get to my uni we went through Waterloo and you know how Waterloo is this big massive station I cannot make this up he said this looks like the Matrix 
because <laughs> he, he was see he'd never seen so many suits in one place yeah, yeah, yeah. this massive place he's he said this so it looks took like him to canary wharf bro redrian i started taking him places like places that i was thinking are normal he was shocked kfc and marble arch is his favorite place in the world <laughs> i swear on my life because he's like there's there's newspapers in the kfc it's like massive it goes around the corner like he was shocked at the at the KFC mob. Like literally, he said to me one day, he was chilling, and I, he was like, "Yo, you got any motives?" I said, "No." Nah. He goes, "Come, let's go to Marble Arch for the KFC." I swear on my life, I was like, "Bro, it's a normal KFC." He was like, "No, it's not." Like I've shown my friends certain things, and they're looking at me like, "You knew about this this whole time?" Oh my gosh! And if I'm honest, I found out about this stuff because I went uni, and it's like getting out made me realize I don't want to be here. Like when you're here. You don't see it that bad because you're like, sometimes there's problems, sometimes there's not. You know, I got to a stage where it's like, okay, I don't have to have any issues and whatever. So I said to myself, well, I don't need to worry. Then it's like, you go somewhere and you're like, wow. That was, this is where I realized that I, I didn't want to be in Leighton anymore. I fell asleep on a bus in Kingston, yeah? My first day in Kingston. But I was in the middle of, I think Temple Run had just come outside. <laughs> so I'm playing Temple Run, but I, so I left the phone on my lap. But my wallet had come out of my pocket because I was wearing like a hoodie and the wallet had fallen out. So my, my wallet was this here and my phone... Oh, sorry, they can't see. My wallet was on the chair next to me. I'm at the top of the bus at the very back. My phone was on my lap. I'm in Kingston. Not Jamaica. The Kingston. <laughs> South. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And um, I felt a tap on my shoulder. I looked up as this big black boy. I'm thinking, my phone's gone. My phone's gone. Man said, excuse me, your your phone, your wallet. And I looked at man like, he didn't realise how much he brought hope to me. And it made me realise like the same things we was talking about. Like um, we have these assumptions because sometimes we don't see past the four or five people around. People come on Twitter and be like, oh, all men do is this. All women do is this. Because they've seen three people on the timeline say it. But then you go somewhere else and they're shocked at you. Black people still. Black people don't steal where I'm from. They're, they're, in fact, they're the ones that have companies and da-da-da. Like, someone might be like, white people are hooligans. No, I don't I don't know a single football hooligan around here. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, so back to the tour. So White people don't season their chicken. What? <laughs> My next door neighbor. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's, that's a true. That's a true stereotype. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But, um, yeah, with my tour, it was like, um, you with YouTube, I know, you, I know you'd understand this, but there's a thing called analytics where you can see where your stuff is being watched and stuff like that. I'm a big believer in not being average. Massive believer. Like, uh, mate, I'd do it all before I go average. Like, I'd, I don't know. I don't I don't even know what metaphor or simile I'm going to say, but whatever I do, if I feel like I'm being average or whatever, then Lord knows I'll step 100 steps up because I'm not, I'm not going out like that. I'm not going to be that kid. That, that gives you excuses, I promise you. If this don't work, I'll stand there, hand on my chest and say, I, I messed up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's the only reason. Like, I've got this poem and it starts with, um, stop telling these kids they can be whatever they want to be, you're lying to them. Because uh, it's, it's basically saying, look, there's different reasons. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and if you don't go for it, when you have it, then don't come to me afterwards and say, uh, people weren't supporting. Uh, this weren't happening for me. Don't. So with me, I looked at it. I looked at my analytics and I was like, okay. And America seems to love me. Um, these parts, 
these places love me and whatever. Went on Twitter, just started doing research. And I'd done a solo show the year before in London. Um, and when I did it, in fact... Wait, so you lined up a world tour off the back of one solo show in London? Yeah. That's all I'd done. Brilliant. So um, even when I did the London show, I was like, actually, I want to go out to New York. But I was scared. I was like, I haven't even, Naturally. Done, I haven't even done my own city. So um, I turned around and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it. And I threw myself in the firing line. So I did that by, at my London show, I announced it as if to say it was concrete. I said, next year I'm going on tour. I hope you don't buy tickets. This is going to be the scariest thing in my life. I went on Twitter, announced I'm doing it. I made artwork for it before I'd even confirmed venues. Because I said to myself, if, if I'm the only one that knows... When it comes down to it, I'm gonna just be like, oh, yeah. I allow it. Because I knew I could get away with just doing another London show. You know what I'm saying? Everyone, all oh, right, he's progressing. Oh, it's like an extra 100 people in the audience. And everyone would be happy because everyone's happy with being content. So I was like, you know what? I went on Twitter and like I, I said, email me where you're from and I'll come to your city if I get enough emails. And um, I, I rounded up everything and it was like, you know, London, Burnham, Edinburgh, New York. There was other places I just couldn't afford it. Like, just physically, I couldn't afford it. Yeah. So I went on Twitter and I said, I'm coming to all those cities in August slash September. Made artwork, literally the artwork said, Nego True, World Tour, London, Birmingham, Edinburgh, New York. No venues have been confirmed. I ain't even called venues yet. I've said, I'm going. Because I know if I put it out there, the one thing about me with my art is, I can't disappoint you. Because if I disappoint you, that affects everything with regards to my art. Now you're not going to want to listen to songs. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you, this tune's out next week. Yeah, and you'll be like, cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. safe, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you know what I'm saying? So I said, I'm doing it. Um, I started contacting venues. Then I realized it's harder than you think. You know what I'm saying? I, I started um, thinking, okay, how much is this going to cost? Because I thought, I, I started doing the math by myself and I was thinking, it would only be like £200 for each venue, maybe £100. <laughs> I was like, wow. okay, this is car money. We're into car money. Okay, and we're only two venues down. Okay. I'm now we're into house money. Okay. Deposit money. <laughs> oh, family. <laughs> oh. Mom, can you uh, remortgage the house? <laughs> no, I'm joking. It wasn't that bad, but it was like, I was like, okay, cool. I've only got this much. Let me make it happen. Um, I'm talking to venues. I'm trying to get favors. Um, I like, I don't mind giving secrets to other artists. I, I was doing stuff like in my press release, I'd mention everyone that's even mentioned me. So I'd be like, the BBC might be there because they've interviewed me before. So, and I knew I could call them and be like, hey, but it's not like the whole of BBC are gonna come. It's yeah. Just be like one radio presenter, isn't it? Just there. Like, I might have just said, hey, SBTV are coming because Kane's gonna be there. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, True. I might. Have just, do you know what I'm saying? So a lot of times people see the name and like, oh right okay we'll drop the price to this much da, da, da. so I was I was working on them vibes yeah, yeah with New York it was a bit easier because I was like well I'm a London artist coming over to America championed by the BBC as soon as you drop anything <laughs> in America about the BBC they're yeah, just like yeah, yeah. alright and I'm saying to them well I've, I've gone viral in your country as well like I've, I've been on Worlds I've been on these sites da, 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 da. so there's an audience for it and I was able to say because I was talking to two venues that are around the corner from each other in New York so you bounce them off exactly so i'm telling them um yeah right, don't worry i'll go use this one and they're like oh no 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 how much day off you I'm like, and like, there's, there's a beautiful <laughs> story about new york go a on beautiful um 
so fast forward, I, I'm doing a tour. I've gone London, Burnham, blah, blah, blah. I've gone out to New York. And with, with paying, there's, there's other beautiful stories, but with paying for the venue, I'm down to my last however many dollars I have to pay for the venue. This venue is amazing. When I say, If I show you the picture of the venue, it's amazing. So I'm down to my last however many dollars. And once I pay this amount, then like what I've got left, and I'm, I'm in America for another two weeks because I was going to go see family. So I've got two more weeks. Once I pay this, I've got nothing left. As in, not as in I've got nothing left and then I get paid on Friday. As in two weeks, I've got nothing. Because the way Eventbrite works is the money I was getting for the tickets from London and that was going to come when I'm back in England. Oh. It's going to come in like a few weeks or something. So I wouldn't have nothing in, in America. I did the show. I performed. In fact, when I got there, the woman said, where's where the staff? So I didn't bring no staff. I came by myself. She said, okay, so who's going to play the instruments? I said, no one. I've got some backing tracks. So who's going to press play on the backing tracks? I am. She said, we haven't got an aux cable that long. I walked to the shop, bought a bunch <laughs> of aux cables that connected. It literally went round, whatever. She goes, she was looking at me like, okay, so who's going to steward people when they come in? I said, I will steward and perform. So when people are walking in, people were walking into my New York show. I was there saying... Okay, yeah, could you like also? And when I say everyone was confused because they were like, "That's not Nigo, is it?" Because it can't be because he's telling us where to sit. He should be like backstage, get ready to be announced. And then the last thing the woman said was, "Who's gonna announce you to the stage?" I am. I'm gonna announce me to the stage. I'm gonna come to the stage and give you a one man show the whole way through. From the time the doors open. For, from everything. So I'm going to walk you in. I'm going to sit you down. I'm going to give you the announcements. Everything. Security. Everything. She started getting people to help. She started saying, look, our staff are here. They're not going to get paid for this, but we'll get you. Okay, she's going to be on the door. Yeah. She only did it after the first half because she, she, I don't think she believed me, innit? She thought, oh, a bunch of Londoners are just going to walk in and help. <laughs> she was like, no, this guy's actually like, as in, in the break, more people were coming in. I went and got chairs and started putting chairs out. She's like, no, 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 no. Then I performed. And at the end of my performance, the lady who owned the venue was crying. She was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. I was like, I was telling them like, not as much as it, it's a positive on my art form, I was like, oh, please don't share the fly being a waste man in the room. As much as it's a beautiful thing on my art home, I was like, oh, please don't cry. Just a normal thing, you know what I'm saying? I tried to give her a hug and whatever. Then as I was leaving, I pulled out the money, all of the dollars to pay her. She said, don't pay me. I feel like I owe you. I said, what? I, I, was, I was always taught, get out of there. Yeah, at the moment, yeah, don't wait for them to, yeah. <laughs> don't wait for the tears to dry up. <laughs> yeah, I said, are you sure? She said, yeah. I got the venue for free. I flew all the way out to New York. So if I went out there like all bougie and all like, I'm from London, you lot should love me just because I'm from London. Yeah, I'm going to bring out, these people are going to work for me. So if I start, because there was time when they were messing up. I'm a very like reasonable person, yeah? So there was times when they were messing up. I didn't complain once. And they, she kept mentioning that like, Oh, uh, when we changed the time, because they changed the time in the venue like a week before. And it's like, 
I'm one man. Just if I had like a company and whatever, then cool. So I'm saying I'm having to send out the mailing list and hoping people get it. Like, I don't know who's actually gonna check that email. Will it go to spam? I'm tweeting it like every single day. Hey guys, it's two hours earlier now. So if you go there at the time that it says it's gonna be done. you're gonna exactly. So it's like all of that, I was like, cool, don't worry about it. Because if I complain to you, it's not going to change anything. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm just going to work on changing things and whatever. And by the end of it, she was like, that's amazing. And I even, like, the person that she was next to was there watching my video on YouTube. So when I got there, I, I got the feeling that they were like, oh, you're just anyone. Do you know what I'm saying? I, like, we've got, like, 10 shows in this venue today. We don't really care about you. By the end of it, it was like, they contacted me, like, two months ago to come come again. They were like... But even this one, they were like, no, you don't, like, we'll fly you out. Like, you can do your one-man show out here. That's sick. Do you know what I'm saying? So it started with, I'm paying you for a service, and it ended with, we'll pay you to bring that. And it's like, I, I encourage any artist, like, I'm not saying that everyone's going to get a refund on what they're doing, but it was like, I went out there and I said to myself, if 10 people show up, that will be a proud moment for me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we were blessed enough to sell it out and that. But I was like, if 10 people show up, I'll be happy because it's like I'm Bridget, you see this 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 Britain this is tiny you know tiny I had a conversation and I'll never forget this one I had a conversation with Wiley on the phone random probably one of the most random people that supported me in my life listen <laughs> Ash Ash from SBTV if he yeah. listens to this he will hear that and be like He'll relate. He's had some mad phone calls with Wiley. On Say the swear. Yeah, Wiley, when he used to live in the Isle of Wight, he would just call up Wiley when he's like 14 and ask for advice and shit. Wiley is a legend, yeah? See, Wiley, he found my video and tweeted it. And then I reached out to him. I said, um, like, I love your stuff. And he said, oh, we should work together. And in my head, I'm like, Graham King, poetry. Graham King, but yeah. <laughs> so we exchanged numbers. And um I called him and it was difficult to get through to him at first. I finally got through to him and then now he called me eventually and he was talking to me about how small England is. And he was like, he was telling me about Europe and he was like, listen, go out there. Like, they'll love you. And he probably don't realise but it was part of the seed that allowed me to go out there because, bro, everyone's trying to dominate London don't get me wrong I'd love to dominate everywhere do you know what I'm saying I, I they forget how small London is as well like um, there's the rest of the country fam, I, I've got this I've got this saying that I just made up one day like a year ago two ago, two years ago it's never celebrate when you're at the petrol station and basically what it meant was you're at a certain level you're not there yet do you know what I'm saying don't get me wrong you can be happy sometimes I learned that sometimes I underappreciate things but at the same time there's still more to do there's still more to do and even when I did the London show I didn't come home like oh my gosh you guys sold out the venue 400 people I was like alright what's next do you know what I'm saying it's a beautiful thing I was happy do you know what I'm saying my little sister suddenly felt like she needed bare presents <laughs> but um, I was a happy man with it but um, there was more and I knew there was more so I went, and I went on the tour I went on and then you know the tour things are happening <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's like you go from one to another to another and I always feel like everyone gets to a stage where you get comfortable. Do you know what I'm saying? I went on I went on tour, I came home, I felt untouchable. I'm not gonna sit and lie to you. Like I've just sold out in New York. Like what artist doesn't dream of that? You know what I'm saying? What artist doesn't think that you need to go for a label to do that? 
I put my own money down to the point where I could have lost everything. I could have been... St- Predrin, I don't think people understand how deep New York was. Like, I went with one other person and that person called me three... I, wasn't, I was going to go by myself. That person called me three days before. He's another poet and he said, if I came out to New York, um, would, like, would it be cool if I chilled with you? Know? I said, yeah. Buy a ticket if you want. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Here's me thinking he's lying. Three days before, he bought a ticket, flew out to New York with me. I thought, me and him were talking about where we're going to stay, yeah, before we went. I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for him to confirm something. He's waiting for me to confirm something. There was a misunderstanding. Went out to New York without a hotel. Mad. So we got to New York and we're trying to book a hotel in New York on the day. Peace. We only get that hotel for two days. Bear in mind, I'm here for three weeks, right? We're going from open mic to open mic because I'm like... I know I've got an audience on the Twitter and the YouTube, but I want to bring the locals out. Mm. I want I don't want just these people that know me. I want to go to a show, like whatever the, the biggest show is in America, or in New York, whatever. Show you what I can do with my pen. So you're not coming just because I'm a fan of him. I want you to watch me and be like, no, I need to see him. And so we was doing that. We were jumping in Ubers, going back and forth. The third night, amazing story. We stayed in Hilton. Well, Doubletree. That counts. Same shit. <laughs> and we got lucky because we were looking for a hotel. So on the second night, they said to us, we can't stay there no more. Got to go. Um, no, they didn't say that. They doubled the price. So they basically said it. Um, and we went on bookings.com looking for a hotel for tonight. And they had a flash deal. I think they said it's up for like an hour. $20 each for us to stay in a double room so two double beds yeah massive room top floor what in new york in new york on flipping right by Times square wow so as in we looked out and we could see everything we said yeah what do you mean (laughs) click that one time we got that i think for two nights so each we paid 40 dollars to stay in the hilton for two nights all because we were unorganized. It sounds dumb. I'm not trying to tell people, yo, go out there and be unorganized. But we were like out there on a limb. Like I'm talking. You put yourself in a position, a vulnerable position, in a hope that it would pay off and it did. Yeah. You it, literally took a leap of faith and landed on your feet. And he was, the guy I went with, a boy named Kush, he was a savior because. My memory is horrible. I don't even know why I did this because I'm in New York. Every single left turn, I'm like, I don't know where we came from. <laughs> like we've blatantly just turned left. I'm getting lost. Like I'm genuinely getting lost. So there's one time we went somewhere and it's like 2 a.m., 1 a.m. And I was completely lost. We ended up in front of what they call the projects. Bunch of hoodlums just staring at us. Like when me, I'm thinking just as long as you don't speak and they don't hear a London accent, we good. Yeah, just keep walking with confidence. I'm not realizing even our dress code's different, so they know we're not from around here. So one of them approached me and was like, Yo, dog, <laughs> where are you from? Whatever. And I was like, um, London, yeah. You know so he's like, Oh, you lost all these questions, whatever. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be peak. So then he said, uh, Where did you guys come from or something? So Kush went, 22nd Avenue or whatever. Like he knew everything. He was like, we came up here, we're just from there, and da, 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 da. And when they saw that we weren't lost, something about them made them something about it made them want to back off. 
it was like, oh, they know their way around it. They're cool. Because it's like, when do we just look like prey? Yeah. It was like, okay. But when it was like, okay. Bro, we had mad stories. We had someone racially attack us when we was like that. What? In the, in the two weeks was in New York. Not like physically, but we were in a, um, we're trying to find a cab. We're trying to get a taxi. And... A, a yellow taxi, so like an official taxi was driving past us, put a hand up to stop it and whatever. He didn't just not stop. He shouted, stupid niggas. <laughs> and we looked Why? and was like, this white guy, in a, and was like, huh? And like, I remember even our first day here, first day there, we realised that, okay, with that guy, that was a racial, uh, that was definitely racial, but with the first day, we saw something that is not common in London. There's this Asian guy rapping on stage. So on our first night, we went straight to an open mic. Yeah. Before we even got to the hotel, before we even confirmed the hotel. This Asian guy was rapping and he's da, 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 I'm the greatest nigga. I went, huh? <laughs> like I, I stood up like literally, because I'm from London, where it's like if you're not black, just don't say it in general, just don't, yeah. So there's this Asian guy on stage saying it. I'm like, I stood up. I, I went, I went and confronted him. Everyone's telling me, no, 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 that's what that's what they do over here. Like, everyone, that's, it's, it's just culture. I'm like, what the hell? Like, and I was learned, like, one thing that I did was, um, when I was in America was, we stopped someone, uh, when I was walking to my hotel, I stopped someone and I had a, con we knew where the hotel was. It was literally down the road. I stopped someone and said, hey, I started talking in, in London slang. I can't remember, I was like, hey, yo, yo what are you saying? Like, you know where the, where the hotel is? And eventually the guy gave us the answer, whatever. And then I said to him afterwards, um, do you know I did that? I said to the guy and he was like, how Americans speak? He was just like, no, I don't. And I said it to Kush as well. I said, could you tell me what you understood from everything I said? And he was just repeating back things to me. And I, was, I said to him, look, uh, I'm a poet. I've come from London. One thing I want to know is language barrier. While I'm here, when I'm on stage, I don't want it to be a thing where I go on stage I'm talking confidently like this and everyone's like, what did he say? Or there, there's certain slang words that they can't pick up on or whatever, whatever, whatever. So from that, there was like three or four people that I literally had a conversation with them just to see, okay, what pace should I speak at? Um, what words should I avoid? In my poem, I say this whole sentence in, in London slang. Will they understand it? No? Cool. Let's re let's rephrase that. Do I need to speak slower? Yeah? All right, cool. Let's work around that. Do you know what I'm saying? And, it was just a whole experience, man. It was amazing. Like, it was amazing. This shit sounds so fucking good. Yeah. We should go, we should go on talking. Let's go on tour. Fuck it. I need to see how long this is. I think it's been like two hours. Say swear, sorry. Is that, don't lie. Nah, it's an hour and 20. I thought that was in two hours and 20 minutes. That's still a lot, though. What have you had to sacrifice? for your art or for your integrity Oof, a lot um i'm a private person man so i'm saying that's one of the first things and um a lot of people don't get that a lot of people um a lot a lot like it's become a career but at the same time my my mode of expression so my privacy's gone to a certain degree. Um, 
my I was always in control of my image before music, always. So I went to uni and I avoided the whole, uh, he's bad breed, whatever, because I just knew, look, just get your book bag, walk around, enjoy it, don't talk about that stuff. There's a catalogue now, there's a backlog. You know what I'm saying? If I say I'm anything, whatever I say I am, oh, but you said this. If, I, if I'm talking to a girl and I say to her, um, I'm talking to a girl and I'm like, oh, you know what? I don't really like settling down, but you settle down here. Do you know what I'm saying? So like my, my, my privacy has got, and some people don't understand it because um, I got a missus and with her, she always gets on to me, but I never post her on Twitter or we, we go places and I don't put it on the Instagram and stuff like that. And I'm like, you're my, you're my actual life. Like don't confuse that with the music. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you're actually real life. I don't need to post an Instagram picture for you to know that. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I'm enjoying this. So, People look at me like, how are you so public but so private? Um, if that makes any sense. So I've lost that, a sense of privacy. Um, and I guess I've, I've sacrificed most hope of any other career. Cause I've put all my eggs in this basket. Yeah, because you can't go work in Tesco now with all these videos of you yeah. up on the thing. <laughs> Brethren, I went in Iceland on my way here. Someone's, oh my gosh, I love your poems. So imagine if a man's interviewing me and it's like, oh, Krept said it perfectly. He said this lyric, he's like, um, too bait. Um, I think it's like too bait to fail. No, too, too bait to get a job, um, but not, but not doing well enough to, to, to feed my family. And he was talking about when they made the, my story video. Oh yeah. And he was like, he was way too bait for him to go get a job now. He's way too famous, but at the same time, they're not making a living off it. So it's all or nothing. And I feel like I am, right now it's all or nothing. Like the next 365 days will say a lot. I'm looking forward to it. My bro, thank you for coming and, and sharing some fucking inspirational stories. Yeah. The New York ones got me, <laughs> got me dreaming of heading back. I was supposed to be there now, but I got shagged, but I'm not gonna talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about how I get shagged on a fucking daily. You should you should do a shagged podcast. Yeah, hashtag shagged. shagged. We can talk about how everyone just steals my ideas and Ooh, fucking shots fired. Sells them. I don't know who we're talking about, but it sounds great. Yeah, we'll find out on the next episode of Shagged. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow Nigo at even though he, he's a private man, he doesn't want you to follow him. But nah, you follow can follow me. him at <laughs> Nigo True. N e g o t r u e. YouTube dot com forward slash Nigo True. Just everything. Just Google Nigo True. Uh, videos and all that stuff is in the description for you just to click through check him out support him this man put on a fucking self-funded world tour with by himself are you mad this is someone who deserves our support deserves our love and and ratings to everyone involved safe <laughs>